Hello and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real for us because we think we draw more power out of them. And this is part of our Holy Week episodes, uh, this special edition. And this is a very special edition because it's Good Friday. And that is one of the more important uh, days in the Holy Week and one of the important, more important days in all of Christianity. So we're excited to talk about it with you. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm Julia Mielstein, my wonderful wife and <laughs> amazing co-host. So uh, and all sorts of other good things that I should be saying so that she'll keep smiling. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we are just uh, so excited to share this Good Friday edition with you. Uh, as we said, it's a profound day. It's the day that we commemorate. Celebrate may be the wrong word. Um, but commemorate the Christ's crucifixion on the cross. So, Julianne, why don't you tell? Oh, go ahead. I'll just say I learned something in reading the book that that Carrie had recommended, "Greater Love Hath No Man." Eric Huntsman and Trevin Hatch uh, wrote that book together, and um, they mentioned that good, and you probably already know this, but um, good was used. Uh, as a word to describe God. And so that Good Friday may not seem like something we would normally say, but uh, like, for example, the example that they use is goodbye was met, meant originally God be with you or something yeah. close yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, very so, close to like God speed you, but, but yeah. Yeah. God be with you. Yep. And so th- having that mindset for Good Friday is this, this holy holiness to God kind of a, a day as it's kind of as a, a prerequisite moment of the the resurrection uh, that we do celebrate in a completely uh, more joyous light, but that this is something that we can also look at in that holy setting of what Christ needed to do that he was willing to do. And, and maybe one way to think of it is uh, like both goodbye and Good Friday is a way it's as if you're saying godly Friday, but not using the Lord's name as much and or maybe even too much. Right. Um, so, but I think that's the appropriate way to think of it. This is godly Friday. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So there are a lot of things we could discuss today. Uh, we're not going to go into all of the different details We're not going to talk about the trial uh, with Pilate, and we're going to skip a lot of things. What we'd like to encourage you to do with your families is go back and to the scriptures themselves and take the time to read these accounts and and dive in deep as a family. And that's what we really hope that these conversations do anyway, is to help you want to turn to the scriptures and have those scriptures really become real in your homes. In fact, now that you say that, yeah, we probably need to do more of that today or in our family. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You get carried away with all sorts of things and and suddenly realize you yeah, haven't like, taken oh, the time. Our own kids. Yeah, <laughs> yes, truly. But what we'd like to do is kind of just give a setting to understand what the cru- crucifixion maybe looked like. There's so much that's not known. So we'll, we'll start by saying that with a lot of these ideas it's just kind of taking a look at the history what things happen things happen generally with romans and maybe some archaeological things too but we're actually not going to spend that much time on this either yeah i mean we could touch on it just a little bit that 
Uh, there were a couple of kinds of crosses, and most likely he was uh, crucified on a cross. It's not the, the, the one like the small T kind of thing, but capital T kind of thing where the bar goes across the top and there's not something sticking up above it. We don't know, but most likely um, we don't know for sure about nails and that kind of thing. The one thing we do know is that found not far from uh, where Christ was probably crucified. So just that, uh, not too far outside of Jerusalem, they found the burial of a man who had been crucified usually they would pull the nails back out and use them but the, his nail must have hit a knot or something and the, and the nail bent so that they couldn't pull it back out so the nail was still in this man's uh, heel uh he'd been crucified and it wasn't through the feet it was through the heel so actually what what uh we can see happened at least in that case and it probably happened frequently is that the feet were placed on either side of the the cross either side of that vertical beam so not both of them in front, but one on each side with a nail going through the heel um, to uh, nail them to the uh, the so that they were uh, had a foot on either side of it. Um, and I guess we'll also say that the, the most common way, at least the way we understand it now, the most common way that someone died um, from crucifixion was from suffocation or asphyxiation when they could no longer draw um uh, breath in because their lungs were collapsing because of their weight because what would happen is that their body would start to move hang forward uh, and their arms behind them and this then would put the pressure of the ribs on the lungs and so on and so on and when that happens too long the, the the lungs start to collapse and your diaphragm can't pull the air in and so to relieve that pressure you have to pull you push up with those feet and pull back with those hands but of course that's pushing on the nails and pulling on the nails uh, and you can only do that for so long until you, until you can't take it. Then you go back out and then you start to, to crush your lungs. And then you come back up and you just alternate between those things until at some point you can no longer get yourself to pull uh, the weight off of your lungs and you asphyxiate. That's the most common way of dying. Of course, the Savior would have been going through all of that, but that's not why the Savior died. The Savior died because he chose to die. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But those are are some of the particulars that are worth thinking about. Not a pleasant thing to think about, mm -hmm. but worth thinking about as we think about how our Savior died for us. I don't mm -hmm. know if you want to talk about just the symbol of the cross in general and Latter-day Saints and crosses or uh, or not. Well, I'll just start by saying that, you know, the reason, the purpose for the crucifixion was to make an example. And so the side of the crucifixion crucifixion would have been in a public place where roads uh, would have passed close by uh, and been a place where a lot of entrance and exiting from the city would have been happening because that was the whole point of this very visible, uh, painful and slow death was to make a point of you know whatever whatever the Romans were trying to discourage. And also at that point, a lot of times uh, crosses are seen to be really tall and, and, and we don't know how much off the ground, ground they were, but with that same idea uh, of the Romans really wanting to be in the face of everybody, the, the most prevalent idea was that the crosses were pretty low to make it easier for the Romans to be able to place those who were being punished on the cross. And, and then the, the cross beam is what those would, uh, that Jesus and others would have carried to the place of crucifixion. The uh, center beam would be 
in place already. And then the, the cross beam would be raised up with the individual. At least that's what we think. There's actually precious little information about how crucifixion happened, partially because we have Roman writers who say it's just such a barbaric thing. We don't even want to talk about it. Uh, uh, a lot of Romans felt this was too barbaric and it was beneath them and they shouldn't be doing it because of how painful it was and mm -hmm. what a spectacle it was and so on. So we actually know very little about it. Um, so I guess what we know about the height is it, it, it probably fairly low to the ground, but high enough that that they had to use something to help him get water to his mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. So the head is just above arm's reach. Uh, probably not too much because they're using hyssop or a reed or something. And neither of those are super strong, right? Especially if it is hyssop. Um and uh, so it's not going to be way up there, but a little bit up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. So, and I, I think it's worth thinking sometimes as, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we shy away from the figure of the cross or the idea of the cross, or at least in recent times we've done that. And I don't know that that's a, a, a wonderful thing. I, I like when our children were in Jerusalem, uh, some of them asked, hey, uh, I have friends who have like a, uh, wear a cross. Do we have something against that? I even had a son who had been given this uh, leather bracelet that had crosses kind of branded into it. And he asked, can I wear this? And I had no problem with him wearing it. Um, we often talk about how we focus on a resurrected Christ, and we do, but that doesn't mean that we should shy away from the, the instrument and the terrible uh, event of his death, because that's incredibly important to us. And so I would just recommend there's a, a book by a friend of ours named John Hilton called Considering the Cross that I think is really important. Elder Holland talked about this in, in October 2022 General Conference. He actually referenced that book but in, in his talk, but uh, or at least in the notes of his talk. Uh, but uh, Elder Holland's talk is also great, and, and just give that some thought. But we're just going to focus on a couple little things here today. You want to start us out? Yeah. We thought we'd like to focus on the seven last statements of our Savior Jesus Christ. And these are generally used in a lot of worship services on Good Friday. And we thought that this was something that you may also like to implement in your own home worship because it's actually the Savior's words. And I can't think of a better thing to focus on. No. So I think we're going to read seven of them, uh, read all seven of them. And we're only going to focus on a couple. But I think four, is that what we decided? Yeah, I think we decided four. But uh, we'd encourage you to do all seven as family and, and uh, explore those other three deeply on your own. So the first one is in Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is such a powerful example when he's in such pain and when he's being mocked and, and scourged and suffering to the point of, of death, and not just in death, but terrible death, what his focus is, is that he wants to forgive. And he's thinking again about how to, in, in a, I believe in a sort of way, uh, apply the atonement here to these men that, that he is thinking in that way, like, let's apply this already to these men that they don't know what they're doing that they're not realizing that I am thy son and, and their savior. The next statement uh, that, and it's sometimes hard to piece together the order when we jump from account to account, but these are both in Luke. So we can be sure that this is after father forgive them. It's in Luke 23, verse 43, 
when he says, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And this is what he says to the the some the other uh, person who's been convicted that is on the cross that has been uh, talking about the Savior. And, and so we're not going to talk about that one, but it's a, an important statement. The next one is in John 19, 26 through 27. And this is where the Savior, again, I think is very reflective of this thinking of others, even amidst his own suffering and pain, that he says to his mother, woman, behold thy son. And then he turns to John, behold thy mother. And that he is at this moment thinking of his, his mother and how she will have to be able to be taken care of, especially at this time in society is very hard for a woman. And, and at this point, she's probably very old for, uh, for how long people are living and is maybe even in more need of care besides the societal needs that come about. And so that he is thinking of his mother is just really tender. Yeah. In fact, I have to say, uh, and it's not just about this line, although maybe mostly about this line, but about all these lines where he's thinking of someone else. It reminds me of this quote from uh, Elder Maxwell that is just profound, so profound, where speaking of how Christ did this on the cross and then how others often reach out to, to other people when they're having their own suffering. And he said, empathy during agony is a portion of divinity. Right. That's a very Maxwellian thing to say. But uh, oh, how we miss him. But uh, empathy during agony is a portion of divinity. It's it's powerful stuff. And again, that our savior is just a perfect example. Right. He's yeah. he's been teaching to love one another. And and he is showing it here in the hardest moment of, of anybody's possible existence yeah. to be able to show that fullness of love. And, and maybe it's worth saying, I don't know how he would know this, but Elder McConkie taught that on the cross that the pains of Gethsemane recurred. So he had both that suffering and uh, the pains of being crucified. I don't know. I, I, he, he said that. I don't know that that's our doctrine, but uh, it's worth considering. And if it's true, how crushing this time is. Um Maybe I, I know I'm going to do kind of the last two, but maybe I can just say that this this next one, uh, and I'll say it in, in Hebrew and let Julianne say it in English, uh, or I'll say because it in Aramaic. I can Aramaic. say it in English. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll say, we're not going to talk about it now. I think it's incredibly profound, but I actually want to save it for when we're covering this in the Come Follow Me reading. Um, but uh, when he says, Eli, Eli, Lama, Savaktani, uh, and that is, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, uh, and uh, I think that's one of the more profound moments on the cross. And so, well, that's a teaser for you to listen to these episodes when we get to them and the Come Follow Me reading. And the fifth one is I Thirst, and that's in John nineteen twenty-eight. Good. And I guess we should have said that that uh, Eli Eli is in uh, Mark fifteen thirty-four and Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. So I'm going to combine... Um, his last two statements, uh, although they come from two different places, Luke 23, 46, and then the, the very last one is John 19, 30. Um, and uh, the Savior says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and it is finished. And I actually think that the order is reversed on that. I think he says, it is finished, and then into thy hands I commend my spirit. And it seems to me that what's happening is he has... As we talked about uh, with um, Maundy Thursday, he has intentionally 
made it so that he could not die yet, having been the one being that had that choice to say, I will not die, though we are past the point where my mortal body would die. I am not dying so that I can suffer as much as I need to suffer. And then think of the relief that he must have felt when he realized I've suffered all that I need to suffer. I can be done. I can, I can uh, just be finished. And, uh, and he says, it is finished. And then he says, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Uh, I find it incredibly significant that the first recorded words we have from a savior are a savior. Those first words uh, are, I wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. And what I believe are the last words from the Savior is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And this follows with that theme that we've been talking about that's so strong in John, although it's in the other Gospels as well, but so strong in John, that the most important thing that the Savior talked about and the most important thing in his life was his Father and to align his will with his Father. And um, I can't imagine what that was like for him after that painful separation that I think had been painful all along, but had just become incredibly painful as he asked, why have you forsaken me? And then to say it's finished, and I, 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 I'm coming to you. In fact, I almost hear it as both saying, I, I'm, I'm coming to you, but also a plea, can I come home now? I just want to come home. I just want to come be with you. Now, we know it will be a few days before I can actually do that. But I think that's what was on his mind and the feeling that he had. I've done what you asked me to do. Now, let me come home. And he wanted to be with his father uh, in the same way that we've talked about. Peter wanted to be with Christ. Christ wanted to be with his father. And he wasn't with his father for a long time because he was doing his father's will, just as we are. And then he could be with his father again because he had done his father's will, just as I hope one day I'll be able to say as well. Amen. Maybe we'll end it on just this one last note. Uh, we could have all sorts of debates and, and who knows, we might do this when we get into the come follow me and we might not, uh, I'll be talking to Andy Skinner and he does like to talk about that, but, um, there's debates as to where the crucifixion took place. And the two most prominent candidates are, uh, the, the Calvary, it's called Gordon's Calvary often. Uh, it's the place of the skull right next to the garden tomb and, um, and the Holy Sepulcher. And there are some pretty decent arguments for both of them. Uh, but what I thought I would relate is a personal uh, realization I had, because when I was uh, in Jerusalem as a student, when we first met, that was a good, good uh, six months for me. But anyway, um, the the garden tomb was where I felt the spirit the most. And I felt the spirit there really powerfully a number of times. And I felt like it was bearing witness to me that this is the place. But as time went on and I studied more, I thought, I, well, I don't think the tomb is the place. Maybe the the um, the place of the skull that hill that might be the place of the crucifixion i don't think the tomb there is the tomb but there may have been a tomb nearby that would be the tomb i don't know but but i started to wonder about that i hadn't been a big fan of the church of the holy sepulcher but when we went back i became a big fan of the church of the holy sepulcher and there were a few times where the spirit bore witness to me very very strongly in the church of the holy sepulcher uh as we were looking at the traditional place where he's crucified there and I had to ask myself, wait, how can it bear witness to me about that place and about this place? And then I realized it was never bearing witness to me about the place. The spirit was bearing witness to me that Christ died for us. And that's what it was important for me to know. And that's what it was important for it to bear witness of. And that's what 
Julianne and I want to bear witness to you as well, that Christ died for us as horrible and as much suffering as his death was and all of the example he set for us while on the cross. The most important thing really is that he died for us. Then of course on Sunday we'll talk that also that he lived for us and rose again. But here on Good Friday, we testify that Jesus Christ died for us. And we testify in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.